we we live in the back apartment of a early 18th century courtyard and it turns out they didn't have a lot of money left over for large glass windows or <laughs> <laughs> surprise <laughs> um so you you keeping well indeed yeah just a, just about i think we've um i think we've dodged a bullet with some of the sort of lockdown social policy pieces and um denmark has definitely been a, a beneficiary i think of having a well, a sort of not very population dense. I mean, Copenhagen's half a million people on a good day. Um, wow. And of course, everyone's cycling about and generally feeling pretty virtuous and healthy <laughs> and whatnot. And yeah. yeah, so no, on that regard, very good. Um, and my, my wife, um, thankfully, her sort of small retail thing is still going and sort of adapted well. Um, I think, you know, we've sort of seen retail has become e-tail in with gusto <laughs> uh, so yeah and how, how about yourself how's the family yeah. yeah all good all good usual craziness i mean the kids are being complete lunatics today i think um <laughs> just just kind of by the end of the week they're just like oh you know like balls of, of, of busy pop that need to explode and uh you know so that i've had a bit of that this morning which is always a joy to uh to 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 contain although no no calls from the school saying saying bad things uh, actually calls saying good things which is quite no surprising. way so maybe they watched a recent podcast i was gonna I was say moaning. i don't think we aired that episode yet <laughs> with the message but, yeah, to i was bemoaning last week or the week before how they only ever call in lockdown uh when uh, when there's bad news so and and obviously myself and my wife we try and be good teachers but that's not the career we signed up for. So, um, but we, we we do love our schools and we do love our teachers. So, hopefully, more good calls, please. So, look, um, Oliver, thanks, and uh, you know, for joining us today. Um, we've got probably 45, 50 minutes. Um, the series found stars and fun stars. I think you're probably quite well versed. It's it's Anthony and I set up, or Anthony and Chris, um, as I always comically refer to, and I think people have listened to enough podcasts now to to get that corny Chris joke. Um, but the the logic, you know, we we've delved into our community, the Notwitz community, to find wonderful people like you, good self, um, on the funding side, and similarly on on the founding side. And, you know, clearly it's 45, 50 minutes, several questions we've got lined up for you. Um, share you, your wisdom. You're obviously a very clever man and, and I have had a very <laughs> successful career at a very young age. Um, so I'm sure there's lots of people who will be looking to hear and emulate those. Sorry, I think the Waitrose order has just appeared next door. So apologies for, for that noise. Um, but before we go on, just quickly, um, you know, why why Denmark? Yeah, sure. Um besides like, it being the happiest uh, the happiest place on earth apparently. Yeah, exactly. I mean apart apart from apart from that and always in the top ten quality like it's um it's really the sort of the Merck HQ piece and it was following the opportunity. And then as it unfolded, it um you know it, it sort of all accelerated a bit with um with sort of covid and the like but actually the idea of remote working the idea of this sort of satellite office piece really sort of came to life so follow the opportunity the earliest stage of course you know the idea of teams being together face to face to try and create a culture to try and sort of really embed that was really sort of um principle uh, at the starting point of it but mercy of course 
Sorry, yeah. So in essence, you're not in Denmark because your wife is Danish. It, it is a business move. And if you were to tell people a bit more, when we think of Maersk, I think of Southampton University in the docks when I was like 30 odd years ago when I used to study at Southampton and, you know, you see Maersk written everywhere. Um, and kind of yeah, my extensions, I mean, what, what's what's the gig? Are they... Are they investing in everything and anything, or is it is it kind of shipping related? No, you're you're quite you're quite right. Um, so so Maersk definitely known for its iconic blue vessels. It's it's great, but is port A to port B container freight, you know, very much sort of front and centre of of their life. Um, and and Maersk growth was really sort of architected principally to look at sort of adjacent growth opportunities. So as we're all aware, and exactly as you allude to, it's it's a bit of a a sort of industrial giant in many respects shipping is a little bit of a dinosaur you know there's lots of um, things that have evolved and innovated but I think certainly the world has become a lot more interested in supply chains been a huge amount of innovation and of course as consumers you know we see and sort of touch that weekly <laughs> with our sort of e-com our sort of deliveries and so forth and I think now we're seeing that other people in the value chain um, other people in logistics and supply chain in general are seeing this this sort of idea of interconnectivity and you know customer centric view trying to take a holistic view of the cargo owner so for most growth it's a little bit about using venture capital as a strategic tool an externally facing strategic tool to sort of engage and work with and co-create um with those innovators um you know as, as you know entrepreneurs are fantastic at finding problems and they're fantastic at solving them or at least having a very good go at it <laughs> so part of our role is trying to facilitate that with capital and, and other support Okay, so, so there, is, there is a theme within the business that the companies you're looking for, talking to, um, I, I suppose, scouting the whole of, of, of Europe, may, maybe the world for, have to have a kind of certain set of parameters. And I suppose for the audience, um, what, what would those parameters be? Yeah, sure. So stage-wise, um, we're very much early stage. So for us, that's seed and series A. Um, and geographically, we're probably... Sorry, can I just ask that there? Because there's a lot of debate at the moment. I was on a podcast, <laughs> someone else's podcast this week, and someone asked me, what do you classify as seed and what do you classify as seed A? <laughs> and I was like, uh, uh. And so, it, it, you know, I've kind of got a rough idea. I know it's a changing feast as per the survey. Yeah. Just but what, what's your thought process there? So, so I think for us, um, it's better to think about it in terms of our comfort with um, the early phases of market fit or even immediately prior to market fit. So where we've got high conviction on a product, on a team, um, on a particular market opportunity, we're comfortable taking that risk. And then numerically for us, um, we're looking to invest between half a million and five million US dollars initially, um, normally with sort of a sweet spot in the sort of one and a half to three US dollars or equivalent range, a little bit for follow on. And then outside of that five million, we're, we're sort of asking for additional permissions, if you like. So for us early is, is that it's, it's sort of the um, largely a framing around product market fit, early revenues. Uh, but as you say, it's a movable feast. And with our coverage in Europe and North America, they mean very different things in dollar terms for sure. <laughs> um, but that, that flexibility is, is definitely there. And then, and then, and then if you, if I was a founder trying to grab the attention of Oliver, so, you know, how, how do I, I suppose, get, get, you know, get in your sort of sniper site. And I suppose with that, um, 
you know, if you could give us a flavor of the sort of businesses that you've invested in so far, that would be really good. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, really, the, the pieces where we overlap with with any um, angel or venture capitalist is is sort of on the founder and the team, you know, a really backable person with good vision, ambition and giving people through conversation and through evidence a sense of their ability to problem solve and to sort of do that in increasing scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, references and networks and pieces are always helpful, which is probably thus it ever was. And I think concretely in terms of the commercial pieces, we try to position ourselves as basically a supply chain investor. So we're conscious that people can come from other industries and look at existing problems with a new lens. And we're really interested in that. And, um, and otherwise sort of thinking about the world um, in very much a sort of swing for the fences mentality. We want people who want to try and build genuinely big businesses. And I keep borrowing uh, someone else's uh, phrase, which I think is fantastic, which is sort of overcoming for the UK, sometimes vicarage and supercar syndrome, which is as soon as the business is big enough to sell and you can own a vicarage in the Cotswolds and have a supercar on the drive, they want to sort of cash out. Mm. We're really interested in regional businesses, big businesses growing in that way. And I think the nature of that ambition is actually, it, it speaks to it perfectly with, with a couple of the UK businesses we've backed have done really well. So um, one of those is ZigZag, uh, return logistics platform. Great industry expert at the helm, assembled a really good team around him in terms of operations, sales and so forth. Um, a great investor in circularity capital as well. So sort of look at this from a circular economy lens. And then the nature of the product and their process for quite a small, quite a young business the capability to serve at the enterprise level, to serve internationally is, is phenomenal. And it's a great, great sort of story for technology. Um, and then separately, um, I think Hubu is a great example. So that was sort of our, our second sort of big deal in the UK, if you like. We came in quite early, a little bit after episode one with a sort of um, post seed and then followed enthusiastically at the A, um, speaking to Econ Fulfillment. So just a really, really compelling founder vision, some real operational innovation, using technology to knit the whole thing together and then, of course, we're able to, to sort of um, stand behind that market opportunity. Really big, uh, you know, really big sort of something. Of course, the, the trend of, of e-com, um, you know, during 2020 and beyond, that acceleration has been very helpful in that. I think okay. um, another interesting aspect, and I was wondering if you kind of talk to some of the dynamics that you find Maris Ventures kind of playing in the, uh, the venture industry. Because it's a niche, a huge niche, um, but a niche nonetheless, do you find that you have to often lead the rounds um, because people rely on the expertise or, you know, kind of talk us through some of those aspects? Yeah, of course. Um, we're, we're definitely structured so that we can lead or follow and we're equally comfortable with that. I think we recognize we've tried to be architected like a conventional venture capital unit, um, but also at the same, we recognize that we're not that. There are some amazing, credible, long-term participants in that space. So, we sort of love to think of ourselves as a co-investor, an amplifier of capital, I think, more than anything. Um, and to that end, I think people recognise we bring something differentiated to the party, and that's founders and co-investors alike. So founders will often have a chuckle and say, you know, it's nice to talk about these incredibly granular KPIs that no one else even references, pick <laughs> rates and stuff like that. We, we, we can put, well, I can put people to sleep for a living talking about digital container shipping, so there you go. Um, but at the same time, that means we can be, you know, a valuable asset alongside, um, doesn't always have to manifest in a lead role. Um, and I think, you know, for all of the things that we get excited about and the credit that we give to our team and the people we work with, um, 
CVC has a complicated history and it's not always, you know, sort of uh, champagne and gold medals all round. <laughs> so I think it's just important to be honest with ourselves um, that, you know, it's, it's, especially in the early phases, I think more heads around the table uh, and a balance of sort of investor authority and input is really sensible. And uh, does an investment from Maersk usually also include a, you know, pilot program or a commercial contract as well as part of that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the... <laughs> That's for, for anybody listening and can't see the video, that's Chris announcing <laughs> to stick out of the room. <laughs> I buy that warning every, like, occasionally, even though they've been warned not to interrupt me for the next couple of hours, they decide to interrupt me. <laughs> I, uh, a, uh, a friend of mine came up with a genius solution for that, which is after the second knock on the door, the, uh, the ch child has to come in the room, but stay with you for the duration of the session. <laughs> uh -huh. never, never come in again. <laughs> you wouldn't want to witness that. I, 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 I apologise in advance, but I am a good father. Um, sorry, I, I interrupted you there, um, Oliver, carry on. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things we're most proud of and one of the sort of strongest and most effective parts of the vision of um, the sort of founders of Merce Growth, if you like, was, was the non-financial value add piece. So, so essentially the, the gift from Merce, if you like, is uh, what we call our value creation team. And those are people with a profile principally from sort of a, a product management consulting type skill set. So people who, who understand early stage business, who understand a bit of corporate development and, and effectively become sort of for, a, for an entrepreneur and for, for a young business, the sort of Sherpa within growth, which is a little, you know, within Maersk, which can, can be a bit sort of labyrinthine at, at the best of times. And, and more concretely, that value add, that support is structured in a way that makes sense for an early stage business. So it's all well and good, a, a, you know, a large corporate saying, we want to hoover up this value, thanks very much. But rather we've thought about the world very much as a two-way street of value. So tip of the cap, whoever came up to it, but we have our A through E. So our assets, branding, customers, data, and expertise. And nice. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully there's no, uh, there's no sort of copyright retainer on that, I think. <laughs> but, uh, so, so can I, can I drill into that a bit more? So the businesses that you're investing in, uh, ideally would potentially work with alongside Merce. Merce would become their customer. Um, exit to Maersk what, what's the sort mm. of end game here so to speak yeah there's um there's a bit of a, a menu of options if you like so we, we we actually go to some length at the start of conversations to say we're not um architected as a pre-m&a unit so it's not a it's not a given it's not an intended outcome we don't want to put a ceiling on value if you like artificially or, or sort of replicate some of the challenges of cvc of old um, but obviously if, if Maersk is involved in an arm's length process at a time, then we sort of see that as a win for everyone. And, and the journey, you know, around that point can also be um, sort of product co-development. So that's quite a nice one that we're actually essentially sort of funding and co-developing mm. that with a lot of, you know, sort of quote unquote free resources coming in to sort of support that. Mm. Um, customer introduction, some of the brand equity association. I guess if you zoomed out a bit, you could say that fundamentally, Maersk really wants to see um, continued innovation in the industry. And for Maersk, innovation has often been at things like the vessel and the process level and the product level. So uh, bigger vessels, uh, more efficient vessels, things like that. And in a way, this is an expression of that, that we're supporting innovation, digitization in quite a complex, slightly 
sort of under innovated industry <laughs> and where yeah, yeah. and uh, i you know how old is the is the actual growth mars growth business oliver is it is it kind of like a started a couple of years ago or it's been going for 20 years um yeah you know, largely because of this whole theme that's everyone's clearly drinking the Kool-Aid on at the moment that, oh, COVID accelerating digitization in the world, every industry has to change. And if they don't change, they die. You know, kind of what's um, what, what's the sort of, you know, are, have you suddenly seen a switch flick on in regards of the innovation piece and because and of COVID? I mean, two questions yeah. in one, sorry. Yeah, no, but to actually take it in reverse, I mean, one of the things I always come back to exactly that is is trying to sort of diagnose to what extent is it, you know, corporate buzzword hysteria or paranoia, <laughs> that sort of thing. And to what extent is it a reasonable risk or an opportunity for, for incumbents in the industry? And one thing I come back to is, um, you know, a lot of these VC-backed um, high-growth businesses in, in freight, if you like, in general. So companies like, let's say, uh, Flexport, companies like that, you know, these are companies that, sort of four or five years ago didn't really appear in in high level sort of leadership discussions of industry incumbents um you know and i flipped through a couple of annual reports of a big us transport and logistics business and they appear in the risk register of top five competitive threats and you think you know this is a company that you know this this previously classified its annual spend in technology as a line item halfway through a PL about it or it investment you know, and now it is absorbing the language, it's recognising it has challenges, maybe sort of absorbing and retaining the professionals. And it's got genuine, genuine competition from from VC backed businesses. So I think in some regard, there are there are niches and segments where things almost overnight have reframed an industry because of technology. Uh, I think anything that involves asset operation, of course, you've always got skill and expertise and capability there. And I think maybe the piece that sort of joins those two together is actually remembering who we serve. You know, it's great to think about, let's say, sort of Maersk and what it does. And it, but ultimately, you know, it's our customers who, who we serve and whose problems we solve. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if you take some of the big global FMCG brands, these are companies that now have very complex questions to pose about how they manage their supply chain. And especially with this connectivity between, let's say, factory and distribution center and now the end customer as well so it, it seems to open the door for early stage technology companies that can address a problem in scale to, to sort of begin to play in this space have you found that um Maersk competitors have also embraced this uh, cvc model as well and if they do do you find that sometimes you end up co-investing with them it's um, it's a really good question, actually. I think they've tackled everyone's tackled the pro the challenge of innovation or the opportunity in a different way. I think certainly we've seen some uh, sort of embrace CVC as a as a bit of a minority sport activity as part of a wider suite of things. And you know, I'm I'm not an industry expert. I come from sort of the early stage investment side, but my my sense is that very few have have gone into the depth and thought through many of the long-term implications and requirements to do it successfully than others. And, and I think that's something we've, we've taken great length to, to sort of do, to give it the long-term surety, the footing and realize, you know, what's really required for this to be a success. Um, in many cases, it, it tends to be captured internally or by a sort of big bang acquisition, things like that. And then of course, if you're speaking technology, it's it's probably quite challenging for companies that are denominated in a certain sort of price earnings 
uh, revenue multiple type mentality to look at a technology business, especially a successful M&A one, and, and sort of digest and get value from that, I think. So um, thank you for that. The, I'm sorry to labor this point, but so the, the Merse growth piece, in essence, you know, because you speak with a lot of experience here, Oliver, um, you know, it, it, it's, how long has it been in place? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I, uh, you're right. I, uh, I missed that one. So, so Merse Growth as a, as a sort of entity, as a name, uh, was founded in 2016. So it's quite a young initiative. And, and CVC was essentially one of three pillars, which kind of underpins the, the sort of the logic, the reason to be the value, if you like, which sort of combines um, sort of a joint venture piece, an internal innovation piece, and then a more externally facing piece best handled by sort of CVC incubator accelerator type activities. Um, so you could say that the VC, the CVC activity really began in earnest 2018. So we're sort of two and a bit years in. Um, so actually the nice part, we're starting to see the bright spots from the first portfolio, if you like. And then actually that sets the framing for, you know, sort of future activities, um, if you like. So re relatively new sport. Okay. And then um, with that in mind, being located in, in Scandinavia, have you seen a flavour towards local hero type? Uh, Scandinavian startups and scale-ups or, or is, a, is, a, is there any sort of link um, and then second to that um, you know roughly in a given year you'll make two four ten investments what's the sort of modus operandi? Yeah sure um, I mean interestingly enough it's it's been very much more a pan-European and a, a US flavour I think and I think that probably speaks to Merck's sort of sense of self as a global business so it's at the same time very very danish and very very global <laughs> um and i think to that end our, our sort of appetite on the startup side is you know there's a there's a little bit of looking after the ecosystem and you know trying to sort of support that in in quite a specific way but with regards to the commercial opportunity it's it's really it is following the commercial opportunity i think so if we see that ambition that support that capability if it emerges from from sweden from denmark great we're also seeing it in the hotspots in Germany, in France, even in Spain, certainly in the UK. And then, of course, you know, the US is is never, never, never short of ambition, I don't think. <laughs> OK, and, and then, you know, going, twisting that round the other way um, and, and conversations we've had with a number of VCs this year already, they're, they're starting to see the US appear or be more prominent in some of the funding rounds. I'm just curious as to what, what you've seen probably in 2020 and 20, well, obviously we're very early in 2021, you know, just, you know, is, is that happening? We, we definitely see that. Um, you know, the US is a fantastic um, single market. There's a few sort of federal nuances, but it's a fantastic single market and a fantastic hotbed for VC-backed innovation. So there have been some absolutely world-class businesses built in the US. And I think the beneficiary, the early beneficiaries of those businesses are now looking at the US, uh, sorry, looking at Europe um, with less of a sort of window shopping approach and much more of a, a sort of concretized, um, you know, here is version 2.0. It's maybe more attractively denominated and certainly, you know, both individual angels, um, the sort of capabilities at early stage, the talent pools, um, you know, we're really sort of seeing that recycled into these sort of businesses. So for sure, we see 
um, I think appearances uh, selectively on cap tables. We see much more engagement and curiosity about the founders, the networks and the companies. And I think that's really, really, yeah, it, 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 we, we definitely recognize it. And I, I, almost the second question we wonder is, you know, will this idea of sometimes Europe feels more like a patchwork of countries than, you know, sort of otherwise, but it, it, it sort of, it does feel that something's changed. The experiences of people who've been country managers in the high growth mobility startups, you know, the Ubers, the scooter businesses, some of the delivery giants, you know, taking that, that capability and ambition and recycling into these businesses, it seems to also appeal to that American investor base as well. So it feels like it is developing. Yeah, we definitely don't see that. Okay. And then uh, I suppose looking at the, you know, the, the here and now 2021, um, a lot of the people we've talked to, especially series A level, um, which, you know, as I was going back to my point earlier, they, the, a really successful hot series A at the moment is a 20 million type uh, pound scenario. Um, you know, kind of, and then see just 5 million. I mean, just curious, you know, what, are you really busy? Is Maersk rocking and rolling? You, you kind of like, oh my God, I can't, I've got so much business, I, I can't sleep, I have to do it all now. Um, what's, what's the sort of um, current temperature? I think um, we're really, really pleased how the portfolio's done. Um, I think we've, you know, let's, let's also be honest, uh, it's, it's a soldier of fortune in that regard, um, because of course the world suddenly became interested in supply chain, distribution of physical goods, all this stuff. And I think that has, that has fostered um, larger and more uh, sort of high velocity transactions and interest and sort of, you know, uh, the next, the next one, two, three around that. Um, I think we definitely saw that initial slump in 20 and then a bounce back. Um, and uh, not, not to be too sycophantic, but you called perfectly the drought on seed and then sort of, you know, flowing through in the delay, the sort of, that, that sort of, um, that, or, you know, the hose pipe ban, if you like, not necessarily that it was enforced so much as self-enforced. Um, I think early this year, early couple of weeks, felt like everyone was still in planning and caution mode. And I have to say the last uh, fortnight or so, um, we're just seeing absolutely, mm. I mean, we are incredibly busy. And Off to is, the races. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's very clear that everyone from the entrepreneurs and their teams to the co-investors to the people who are potentially going to follow everyone seems to have essentially adopted organically into a new pattern this is how we do it remotely this is the speed and the cadence this is the sort of engagement we want to get ready for your next phase or otherwise let's compress that down into a bigger series a as you say um but yeah concentration and competitive for sure for the, for the and, and just with that, you know, um, I suppose I'm, I'm going back to the point of, you know, how do you find these businesses? Um, you know, how does that find, founder find you? Are you are you working especially with certain non-corporate venture capitalists to, yeah. that, that are real kind of groovers and shakers in, 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 in sort of maybe finding the baby seed type companies to, to, to put your way? How does it all work? Yeah, we very much, um, and I think that comes to our, our sort of proportionally more classic VC DNA, we very much try to to sort of uh, focus on network. So whether that's actually the co-investors 
you know, and there's a, there's a little bit of, of hope, if you like, um, but sort of hope that they do indeed agree with our thesis that we can be a good co-investor, add value, differentiate, etc. Um, so sort of a little bit of hope and trust there, but exactly that network of earlier stage, you know, sort of uh, seed, pre-seed, early A, try to be involved. And of course, what we try to do there is to, to sort of lend our expertise, offer a bit of pro bono, whatever we can do to actually help <laughs> on a sort of, you know, uh, that basis. Um and equally, I think we're starting to see, I, I probably sort of reference that piece, you know, country managers of some of the bigger VC backed or now IPO companies, as they recycle, you know, those entrepreneurs are often getting into select pre-seed opportunities or joining or, so, you know, it's a long way of saying, I think network and the more professionalized that is and the, the, the more crisp our offering, I think um, the better. Um, and then, and do you think, do you think you, you're seeing increasing amount of collaboration from from different VCs around the world? I think so. I think so. I um, I certainly. I mean, I, I suppose as ever, it's a little bit binary, really. <laughs> there are people. There are people who who probably you know sort of get the story, or they've done something with us, and they get it, and they sort of see how we operate and what we do, or can reference our sort of founders and their networks. And I think that's that's very much an open door. And I think there are probably others who are skeptical and have a longer view of history and CVC and just sort of think, well, I'd rather not create that capacity, et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, you know, it really does feel more collaborative than competitive. Um, yeah. On that, uh, on that, sorry, on that added value piece of, um, you know, the commercial side of it as well. Could you talk us through some of the challenges that you have with rolling out some of these pilot programs and any tips that you would have for entrepreneurs listening that, you know, want to get pilot programs either with Maersk or in general, um, something that they could take away? Uh, that's, yeah, it's an amazing question. Um, it, it is the primary function of our value creation team to sort of almost, we, we think about it as matching the wheel speed. <laughs> you can have lots of good intention on the corporate side, but I think it's really important to focus on what's the critical path for the decision making who has to say what and when, what's the budget. And I think it's a totally reasonable question for entrepreneurs to do that and to sort of keep asking that question, keep everyone sharp on it. Because again, corporate, full of good intention, full of really, really excellent people, but the default engagement for most corporates is enterprise grade. And it's really unreasonable to stand a early stage business up to enterprise grade scrutiny. So two things, it's always checking the permissioning, uh, the sort of the T's and C's and the permissioning, the critical paths. Um, and then I think also sort of patience, you know, we invest and we often say, this is day one, this is sort of day 90, this is day 180. And then actually, you know, it might be a 12 to 18 month conversation. And I think to have the patience on both sides to do that and to sort of get out the entrepreneur's way, um, you know, we, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, goodwill, but we need to make sure it's structured in the right way. I'm sure that can, that can cause some frustration because, you know, with the startups, they always have these KPIs that are, grow insanely quick and you know uh, as big and fast as you can um so is your advice as well you know working on pilot programs but also not devoting all of your resources to those pilot programs because of that timeline and still working on other commercial things yeah that's a, that's a really really valid point um i think it's really important for any investor and certainly any corporate investor and corporate not to you know gum up the gears it's uh, it's letting letting the firm do its job and evolve in its own way um and then of course the nice part you might have this big strategic long-term piece or this project um but then of course think about all the tactical the smaller tactical pieces that um that your your investors your partners your corporate partners can support um you know we've been we, we certainly have big projects ongoing with our portfolio 
but in smaller tactical ways, we can bring out our head of e-procurement, our Brexit sort of war room team and, you know, customs. There's all manner of, of pieces. We can do small tactical things to sort of come in, support a company, give it some insight for free and, and not sort of derail the business. But it's, it's a really good point. Looking at the um, human, I suppose, interface of, of when you've been pitched to by founders, um, I think we had someone on recently who said um, they were talking about market size and the founder replied, oh, just go Google it because he didn't know the particular answer. Um, it just kind of like, what, what's your, your sort of, avoid this banana skin when you come and meet me in Copenhagen? Uh, where, where, where have you seen people really press that self-destruction button in a meeting with you? It's it's uh, it's probably a version of, of the same same mentality with that. I think it's the we have no competition mm. um, because in some cases do nothing is competition. Um, in some cases there's sort of a, a jobs to be done. You know many incumbent things. You know people say this industry is built on on spreadsheets and and you know telephone calls. And for many small businesses that that might be perfectly fine right now. So I think, I think the idea of really knowing your competition from a sort of jobs to be done, that kind of framework, the, um, is a really good one. Just think what, 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 uh, what are people doing? What functions are they hiring? What softwares are they using to be your competitor? You're right. There's almost certainly no one exactly like you. So they're sort of telling the truth, but I think it's a much healthier, um, and more sort of mature market view to say, this is what we're up against. Um, in the case it's an existing function I, I couldn't agree with you more that's my my number one pet peeve when being pitched is we have no competition right <laughs> yeah and I, I think with, with my you know sort of insight here you know I, I think that also comes sometimes with somewhat of an arrogant attitude by some founders and yeah. naivete it, as well I feel pardon naivete as well yeah naivety but that's why i went pardon um no it, it's it's kind of interesting that you know we we do come across quite a few founders and we you know i'm of a elder um position so i've kind of been around and seen it a bit and and it's kind of uh, I do sort of wince sometimes when, um, you know, I'm kind of some, have some, some of these various founders, not all, I, we work with the very best ones, but it's that pinch of like, look, I, I, you know, having that respect for a fund or a, an individual is, is kind of key, I think, to building human relationships. And I, I really turns me off when I, I meet founders who are, are just like, arrogant with me and i'm sure it does with you oliver so anyhow chris is going off on one so i'm coming and drawing it back into Maersk ventures um and you know with great tips for founders um lots of people are really interested in vc corporate vc if 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 i was that sort of budding uh, grad or, or not even a grad someone who's you know unemployment's potentially could be rife everywhere around the world in the next year or two how, how do i suddenly like um get my get my cv in front of um a corporate vc and 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 what what what's the real what's the real job like what do you love about the job so um 
I think maybe to sort of take it in, take it in reverse, if that's all right. Um, I mean, it, for, for me, it's, it's the founders and the ecosystem. I think what, what an absolute pleasure to get to work with entrepreneurs. I mean, who are, you know, entrepreneurs are the rock stars of the economy of the, the VCs get to bask in their reflective glory from time to time. <laughs> and, and I think the point to highlight maybe to work closely to the sort of those looking to get in the industry is it's from time to time. And actually, you know, a, a huge proportion of the job is, is, you know, lots of sort of burnt out shoe leather, lots of conversations, which probably don't have, uh, you know, a fruitful complementarity right then, and they might have in future. Um, but of course, it's, it's coming back to that piece on ecosystem as well. Um, you know, there's people that we've known for a number of years that we've sadly still not yet done a deal with, but, you know, you pick up the phone to them as soon as you can, you enjoy the chat, you exchange information, do what you can to help, and you sort of hope you get there as well. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's someone who's, you know, curious, interested, and really sort of gets a thrill out of those kind of people, the sort of weird and wonderful people who are actually out there taking the risks and, and see it as a privilege to be able to work with and support those people. And also recognize that a vast proportion of the job is, is a bit of a grind otherwise. You know, there is a lot of channel checks, understanding market sizing and interrogating models and all, all these sort of pieces. Um, but I think network's very valuable. And I think to make that connection, those sort of two are linked. So I think there has to be a bit of patience in the network building. It's a little bit less transactional than you sort of corporate, you know, get the CA or whatever. I think it's always great to have a warm referral, that sort of thing. And I know that's a little bit uh, of an easy get out. So sort of practically to take things forward, um, one thing that always surprises me that, that people sort of don't do is, of course, the greatest experience for VC is probably being in the trenches in a VC-backed company, doing anything really, just sort of being there, seeing it, seeing the kind of people, the language, how it operates, um, how people think about problems, solutions. I think, I think CVC is a great, great route into a particular industry, a particular market. It has a lot more of a typically a sort of corporate hiring process that can be easier to navigate. And I think as a general introduction to the VC world, any exposure to portfolio companies to VC back companies will get you closer to that ecosystem, that network, um, and a sense of how VCs in general uh, make decisions and, and think about stuff. Was, uh, was that your route, uh, Oliver? Or I don't know if we covered that, but actually. No, it was a, a little, little bit... Um, little bit sort of varied really I, I started off um, started off in banking um, specifically on sort of the hedge fund side so the hedge fund services at prime brokerage so I got to work with those fantastic people um, for a number of years and it's just a really amazing market I mean some amazing characters uh, Chris I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I recall a meeting of mine's on one or two choice names from that sector over, over the years yeah absolutely for another <laughs> another another day and and i think that well that really just started a directionality of wanting to get closer to direct investments and it was really through family i've always been exposed to small businesses and however tough and distinctly unglamorous it is there is an amazing reward of, of working in sort of early stage businesses and small businesses and through that there was sort of a couple of steps but basically getting into direct investing and it was a little bit of a sort of niche um, unusual fund an early stage fund affiliated with Cass Business School um, backed by Peter Cullum who's a phenomenal uh, entrepreneur uh, built two fantastic businesses amongst other things and just has an amazing view on entrepreneurship in general and some really in insightful things to say so I got to sort of report to him um, I got to report to Andrew Sibold of Evercore um, and I got to sort of effectively be sort of coached and mentored a bit by Nick Badman from um, from sort of 3i and the Angel Co-Fund and you know, I think between that, it, it says a lot about network and, and coaching and so forth. And then that was really a jumping off point. So that gave me, a, I guess, a, 
you know, a sort of um, uh, a, a foot in the door, if you like. And then I think from there, it's it's sort of other conversations and other routes into to new funds and networks and so forth. Okay, great. Um, I mean, I'm I, I'm quite curious because I uh, I love Denmark. Um, I'm changing tack a bit here. Um, the I haven't been there for a while, actually, probably four, three or four years. Just kind of, you know, the Danish tech scene. Uh, obviously, I think the company I know very well is Tattoo, which is like the Instagram of, of tattoos. For anyone who likes tattoos, um, you know, go on Tattoo, and uh, the founder's a fantastic guy. And I think um, Daniel Lager was one of, uh, you know, he's one of those celebrity footballer type investors in the business which and obviously he has a lot to do's as well so um and also he's danish so it kind of fits the bill perfectly um so you know kind of what, what's going on there i mean because clearly they're yeah. all like there's hardly any events or you know or accelerator demo day parties or you know everyone's tried to shift onto webinars which to be perfectly honest, are a bit of a disaster in most cases. Um, and, and Clubhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Clubhouse. Which Webinars and Clubhouse. <laughs> kind of a weird, weird kind of experience where, you know, I had a bit of a delve into and kind of been approached by some really odd people. Um, but, um, you know, kind of, I don't know why they're attracted to me. Um, but, um, yeah, so we're kind of obviously, I think, yearning for the return of that, that physical yeah. room events but you know curated content um uh, which not wix is very good at but i'm just curious like going back to denmark you, yeah. you know what's happening is the scene still live and kicking and growing yeah. fast i mean um coming coming as an expat it's been a little bit um sort of uh, learning the ropes a bit and sort of understanding a little bit on, on sort of the who's who i mean certainly there's some amazing success stories some marquees which are causing a little bit of that early sort of I know one, Vivino, who raised a load of money this week, who are a fantastic company that I had the pleasure of meeting a few years back. And yes, so exactly that. And and it sort of it does it does create a bit of a buzz. And being a small city, being a small nation, population-wise, you're sort of actually quite close to it personally. So it's not hard. That sort of degrees of separation piece is that actually these stories are getting a little bit closer to home for a lot more people. So it's becoming. I think more of a credible path, a credible conversation for young people taking the early steps in that. And with the VC funding, of course, it creates the depth, you know, both sort of the, the, the kind of early compensation piece, but also actually the surety and the learning that they're looking for. Mm. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's for sure, it's, it seems to over-index on sort of two or three areas, I'd say. You've got mm -hmm. the sort of social media, new media type. Um, I think there's a fantastic sort of track around uh, decarbonisation, sustainability. And part of that is, of course, there's some great sort of corporates doing pieces in that, which actually there's, again, a lot of intellectual property and talent. And when that meets, um, you know, venture capital, exciting things can happen. Um, and of course, you know, from from the early days, um, you know, Danish businesses are sort of transacting in English and thinking globally. It's a small home market. So from day one, they're thinking, you know, pan Nordics, pan Scandinavia, pan European, pan US, if they want to build something large. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um, probably the final add-on to that is we're sort of I think probably the last six months increasingly aware of sort of early stage entities you know the sort of ex business accelerator incubator type actually thinking about a discrete um, Danish 
sort of chapter <laughs> set up um and i think that that would be quite a quite a positive thing as well just to say absolutely let's try and build a cluster around um you know sort of social media derivations or ecom derivations or a bit of both but um yeah for sure and there's some really interesting people doing that maybe maybe a final bit we're also seeing a lot of um with the us success stories a lot of danish expats coming back and of course they have the experience they have is it zendesk is one of those yeah and they uh, and the, and even um because i think danes travel exceptionally well <laughs> you've just got very talented people who've been you know senior marketing and senior sort of engineers and um, i think it's a, it's an important factor when looking at a maturing entrepreneur market and ecosystem is multi-time founders successful exits that they have the experience they're coming back they're taking yeah. leadership roles educating others um you know it really makes a huge difference that i think the educate and inspire point i think um it's really helpful they've they've been there they can share the learning they don't have to do it on someone else's nickel and and to sort of paint a vision of you know this is how this is what success can look like this is what good can look like and it's um yeah, it's, it's great. And, and they've, they've had a number of unicorns, haven't they? So yes. know, that's always good, good quality stamp. And, and I mean, just curiously is when you talk about, you know, Denmark as a whole are focusing more on these tech success stories. Are they on the news? Are they on like the news at 10 or whatever? <laughs> or are they that big or not really? Um, that's a good point. If my language was there, I'd give you a credible answer, but I'll, I'll dodge mm. the question entirely. Because, because we're sort of in the ecosystem a little bit, um, mm. I think yeah. everyone's very keenly aware of the brand names for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, you know, I'm, you know, what Deliveroo is probably going to IPO soon, and I'm, I, I wouldn't have, well, I'd love to see it make the news at 10, but it's probably not going to, going to but it's, it's big news in our, our lives, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose then, like, just we're coming to the near the end of our chat, and it's been really good to catch up. Um, you know, outside of Musk growth, um, what, what keeps Oliver busy? Oh, any any excuse to be uh, to be active and outside, and not just not just because of the COVID restrictions. <laughs> so, cycling, uh, running. Were yeah, Were so you a keen cyclist before you moved to Denmark, or? So I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I don't have a road bike here, but I need to get into my cycling. But uh, long distance running used to be my bag. And then I've, I've introduced, uh, my wife and I have now become enthusiastic uh, ice swimmers or cold water swimmers. And it is, a it is a brilliantly Nordic pursuit. So part of the, part of the routine now is, uh, is jumping in some very cold water. It's about, I think it's about minus four recently. We have a little swim about for 10, 15 minutes and then go and warm up and have a coffee and you feel pretty good about the world. <laughs> is there anything that you have to do to prepare for that? Do you have to spend 10 minutes, you know, breathing in and out vigorously before you jump in or? There's, I think start, starting in June helps. I have a friend um, in Sweden, Daniel Dubowski, who uh, has a business called Funded by Me, and he takes great great delight on putting Instagram photos of him in his uh, budgie smugglers about <laughs> about to take the dip every morning into minus eight and and praising the Lord for yeah. how good he feels afterwards. Which so it's it's a yeah it's a, I mean I, we might be going that way 
next week in in England because I think it's, there's a real cold spell going in, which the kids are really excited about having some snow in London potentially on Sunday. So <laughs> all that thought it it could could happen um, again because it was we had some a couple of weeks ago. And then look, you know, we we're always a bit nosy on um, even more personal things like we're indoors a lot. What are you watching at the moment? Any good shows to recommend? Because I love a nice dark mysterious. Wow candy detective series <laughs> yeah what's the what's the danish netflix selection like well that's an interesting one so i was i was equally surprised to discover i assumed that one two and three would be sort of film noir detective scandy slightly grisly drama and um inspector morse features worryingly high in the uh, top 10 danish yeah huh. so, so moving swiftly on um is that I, also I, on your personal list <laughs> <laughs> may or may not be I, it depends how often i clear the history um <laughs> no that thankfully not um but no, i'm definitely with you on the i have to say i've, I've cheated a bit I'm, I'm catching up on the uh the bosch on amazon prime which is sort of the la uh, a little bit sort of film noir so it's sort of a sort of gritty bosch yeah hieronymus bosch, bosch. Yeah. titus titus welliver is sort of a slightly gritty uh, la homicide detective and it sort of actually has a little oh, bit of a bosh. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. For that one. But yeah, for sure. Can't, can't, can't go wrong with the bridge. I think there's no complaints on there, any side of uh, the Sweden-Denmark connection for the for the bridge. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, okay, great. Um, uh, and um, did you miss much about the UK, London or England? I mean, there there is a, a vibrancy, an ecosystem, a network. I mean, let's not forget pubs and curry houses, which are excellent places to, you know, socialise and catch up and exchange uh, a sort of... We miss those. We miss those. <laughs> we <live there>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and actually, funnily enough, uh, you realise what an incredibly, and this is surprising, what an incredibly green city is. The parks of London and the open spaces are uh, are phenomenal. But no, it's, um, it's, it's a very, very different uh, way of living. And I think there is a vibrancy to a sort of 10 million person capital city than a half million one. But of course, there are other qualities and things that make it uh, very, very sort of comfortable and easy living here. Mm -hmm. Great. Have a look, Oliver. Um, I, I want to say thank you for taking the time. And I don't know, Anthony, do you have any last burning questions before we? Does it actually rain more in Denmark than it does in the UK? <laughs> well, the uh, the Danes the Danes keep mocking me for how much it rains in the UK. So I think their assumption is it's mm. even more. I, I, I would I would say it's uh, that's a wash between the two countries. <laughs> well, look on that note. Um, thanks again. Um, been great catching up and keep up the good work. And hopefully we'll catch up again with you in six months or so and get the update on how things are panning out in 2021. But. Brilliant to hear from you. Great to find out more about Mayor's growth and um, keep keep well, stay safe, keep away from COVID. Take care. Keep warm. <laughs> <laughs>